Hi, this is Tamika Kasten-Miller, and you are listening to Think, Flow, Grow. At the end of this and every episode, you will find a meditation, so stay tuned. Wildlife and the wild woman are both endangered species. Over time, we have seen the feminine instinctive nature looted, driven back and overbuilt. For long periods, it has been mismanaged, like the wildlife in the wildlands. For several thousand years, as soon and as often as we turn our backs, it is relegated to the poorest land in the psyche. The spiritual lands of wild women have, throughout history, been plundered or burnt. Dens, bulldozed, and natural cycles forced into unnatural rhythms to please others. It's not by accident that the pristine wilderness of our planet disappears as the understanding of our own inner wild natures fades. It is not so difficult to comprehend why old forests and old women are viewed as not very important resources. It is not such a mystery. It is not so coincidental that wolves and coyotes, bears and wildish women have similar reputations. They all share related instinctual archetypes, and as such, both are erroneously reputed to be ingratious holy and innately dangerous and ravenous. Healthy wolves and healthy women share certain psychic characteristics, keen sensing, playful spirit, and a heightened capacity for devotion. Wolves and women are relational by nature, inquiring, possessed of great endurance and strength. They are deeply intuitive intensely concerned with their young, their mates, and their pack. They are experienced in adapting to constantly changing circumstances. They are fiercely stalwart and brave. Yet both have been hounded, harassed, and falsely imputed to be devouring and devious, overly aggressive, of less value than those who are their detractors. They have been the targets of those who would clean up the wilds as well as the wildish environs of the psyche, extincting the instinctual and leaving no trace of it behind. The predation of wolves and women by those who misunderstand them is strikingly similar. I began reading Women Who Run With the Wolves by Clarissa Pincola Estes on a journey back from being in the wild with friends and family, if you will, having spent time in nature, I realized just how disconnected we are with nature and with one another. I wonder what community would look like if we incorporated plants and trees and animals and others that we don't necessarily get along with and beings 
of which sometimes we might be scared, if we encompassed all of that part of creation and we called it community. What I learned by spending time in nature is that I hadn't experienced a deep sense of childlike joy in decades. When was the last time you played in dirt? Not gardening or pruning, because pruning is taking things away, seeing what doesn't belong. When was the last time you looked at it as though it all belonged and it was all a part of a bigger symphony? In my time in nature and in the woods, I realized that there are things that we step on that are a part of something that is so big that it brings nature together, grass. We step on grass. We don't think about it. We cut it. We see it as sometimes overgrown and problematic. And yet without grasses, we wouldn't have roots to connect with the earth that keeps the earth in place so it doesn't slide. So grass keeps us safe. It gives shelter for the tiniest of creatures that will then become a part of an ecosystem that then provides food for us. And then I look at weeds. Technically, dandelion is a, le- a weed. But when was the last time you looked at a dandelion and thought, weed? A dandelion is something that when we were kids, we were fascinated with this object that we could pull from a crack in cement that would just grow in the most arduous of situations. We would see a dandelion, pick it, and be fascinated as we blew its blooms all over, its seeds all over, to see how far that the seeds might go. And this is something that brought us joy and, and even a sense of curiosity. How was this flower there? We thought of it as flowers. Others saw it as weeds. And then we got older and also began to look at them as nuisances. When was the last time you blew the seeds of a dandelion to go spread? and followed it as it flowered, as its flowers just flew wherever they decided to go, wild. And I learned that the roots of the dandelion grow so deep that unless you really dig in, you can't actually stop the growth of a dandelion. What can we learn from that type of resilience? And then the leaves of the dandelion are such a source of incredible nourishment. There are so many nutritional benefits from the dandelion roots, from the dandelion greens that we can get. And yet we walk over them all of the time not knowing and then go to Whole Foods or your local health market and go pay for them when they're growing wild right in front of us but we're mowing them down with lawn mowers. When was the last time you adorned your food with flowers just because they were pretty? 
and because food deserves to be something that gets to be enjoyed instead of just devoured. As I spent my time in and amongst wild and ambling plants, I realized just how not wild so many of us are, especially women, when our natures are wild. We were once wild. Our ancestors were wild. And over time and through colonization and through the expansion of the church and through the expansion of all of the entities that would then form a patriarchal society, women have become silenced and our natures have become silenced as well. And that's why when we get together with other women who curse and spit and do whatever they want, we're intrigued with them because we see ourselves in them and we see our repressed natures in them. I think of all of the times that I wore shoes when walking in grass when really what I wanted to do was take my shoes off to have my feet connect with the grass. I've been taking my shoes off a lot more lately and just walking through grass and connecting with the earth. And the concept of Ashe, the West African concept, this energy, life force, transformational energy, which is Ashe, is transmitted through the ground. This is how we connect with our ancestors and all of the wisdom that's come before us is through the ground. And that's why dances that are more African inspired are danced lower to the ground. And even though it may not share the same term, this isn't the only culture, system of cultures that connect to the ground. If we look to Latin American culture, if we look to the great ancestors of Mexico, they kneel on the ground as they are grinding up ingredients to create delicious moles and meals that then they will turn into sustenance for their families. In kneeling on the ground, there's a connection to the source from which it came and also an honoring of that source. And the kneading and the creation of doughs and meals and delicious sauces and spices then are created as low to the ground in acknowledgement of its source. I was having a conversation the other day about how different it is for certain cultures to use stoves versus stove tops. Oftentimes laugh about the concept of casseroles. I just think it's really interesting because I didn't come from a family of casseroles. I believe this is a cultural difference between my family and families that share less melanin than mine. I could be wrong. But I believe that this is a, a, a thing that has come from um, Middle America of, law, of dishes that can just be tucked in the oven and then you can walk away from them. If you look at African cultures and Asian cultures, so many of those dishes are cooked stovetop. I remember watching an episode of International House Hunters 
and this North American couple was looking for a home in India, I believe. And they wanted, this woman wanted a stove, or I'm sorry, this woman wanted an oven. And the realtor, the local realtor told her, well, madam, we don't really use ovens here. Most of the foods that we prepare are cooked stovetop. And the shopper was saying, but I need an oven. That's how I cook. And I began to think to myself, oh, how interesting that is. Because if you look at the cultures that are old cultures, Asian and African cultures, those foods were always cooked over a fire. And foods were cooked on top of the fire in a cauldron or in a bowl of sorts. And that's why we have so many stews and gravies and dishes that require long periods of time to extract all of the flavors because we're using whole wild ingredients, putting them all together, ingredients that come from the earth, putting them together, adding um, liquids to them, adding fats to them, adding um, lentils and, and things of that nature. And we add those things to it and then just let them stew. And this is not a concept that really made sense if you were from a culture that didn't really cook in that manner. And I begin to think of maybe that's when the separation began between the earth and what we put in our mouths because all of a sudden we're putting things inside of an object that then closes everything off instead of putting those same items inside of something that's cooking and grounded to the earth. I don't know. Maybe it could just be a wild thought, but why not? My time spent in nature, which, mind you, was really only four days. I realized just how wild I truly am. how much I don't really care about coexisting with bugs. They're fine. How much I could trust the stars to guide me in the darkness. And how much that is misinterpreted and frankly frowned upon and scary to others. I don't know how many employers or managers, I'll say managers because they were never the real boss, but how many managers said, you know, you have a strong personality. And I would always say, would you like for me to have a weak personality? What is the fear in a strong woman? Does it scare you because you've lost that in yourself? Of what are you truly intimidated? Perhaps finding yourself in the process of discovering someone who can reflect your true nature back to yourself? Or are you so far from your true nature you don't realize that's in you too? I wonder what our world would look like if people weren't afraid of strong women. I wonder what female relationships would look like 
if women who have lost their strength weren't afraid of their stronger peers, who instead looked at them and said, ah, that's me too. How would a patriarchal system be dismantled if we all connected to our inner strength on a daily basis and were wild and free? I look at the influence that I have and that I'm building, and it all started with putting my own bullshit aside about my thighs or my size or my belly because I realized that the world was better served when I wasn't living in my own dark stories. I think of people who have risen to prominence who have done so just by telling us who we are at our core and it speaks to something that we know and something that our mothers have told us or perhaps they haven't. But some person in our lives have told us and reminded us of who we are and then we pay money to buy books and listen to people who are telling us the things that we already know. And what's interesting about those books is now when I listen to those people speak, I realize that all of the affirmations that they are providing, all of the things that they are telling us that we need to know are actually affirmations for themselves. I look at these influencers who are telling women how to be courageous and brave and thoughtful and wild and all of these things. And they're simple projections of their own inner work that they are still doing. And we look at them as gurus thinking that they have all the answers when really they're just stating their thoughts and opinions of which they're trying to convince themselves and stating them out loud or on paper and people buy that because we want to hear that too. All of our answers we already have. Once we get back to our true nature and we are no longer afraid of that, then we can tap into those answers. So my question is what are you truly afraid of? What happens if you come back to the truth of who you are? And perhaps you ask, how do I do that? And I would say by peeling back all of the layers of crap that other people have put on us. What was your inner wildness when you were a child? What did you like to do? When was the first time someone told you that you were not supposed to do something you enjoyed doing? I look at my LGBT community and I think of how, how many people have been silenced just for being who they are, who we are. And how many people's true natures are demeaned and demonized. 
And then I think of the people who are brave enough to say, this is who I am. This is my truth. I will invite you to step into it. And if you choose to walk through that door, fantastic. And if you don't, then this is where our story ends. If only we were all so brave. How much of our lives are being lived for other people and our appearances because of a sense of living in lack or living in fear of recrimination or fear of rejection? What if we started to live out of a sense of abundance, not only that our needs would be met in terms of shelter, food, but also in terms of the quality of our relationships and our lives. What if we believed that we lived in abundance, that no matter how true we were to ourselves, that there would be an abundance of people who would love us for that person? What would life look like? All of this brings me to the concept of Astea, and this is a concept that I will be massaging over several episodes. Astea is a yogic concept of non-stealing. And typically we apply this to the very literal sense of not stealing from people, not stealing from things, places, etc. But in denying our own natures and denying ourselves of who we truly are, we are stealing from ourselves and our joy and our futures. We're stealing from our health because, of course, it's quite stressful to wear a mask all of the time and not live in your truth. So how much stealing do you do from your own self, from your own nature? And what would it look like to practice Asteya for a year? Giving yourself what it is that you most deeply desire on a heart level, not serving your physical body, but serving your spiritual self, your highest self. Saying yes to that self. people might liken this to self-care. Oh, self-care Sunday. I'm going to go to the spa or get a massage or what have you. And yes, that can feel really great. And it's superficial. What if we were to provide what our body needs on a cellular level? With foods that are alive and vibrant that have an energy to them that hasn't been put through a chained or caged situation that then we can ingest and we can enjoy and that energy is transmitted to us. If we can feed ourselves on a spiritual level by reading spiritual texts, and by letting them inform our current lives, 
without all of the dogma and all of the crap that would tell us that those texts are wrong or what those texts should mean, what would happen if we just read them for ourselves and gleaned all of the stories that we could from all of the different cultures, all of the different religions, and found out from our ancestors lessons that we can learn from them and leave all of the divisiveness for those who aren't as evolved. What would happen if we practiced emotional food, drawing in relationships that don't take away from our wild natures and in fact encourage us to be wilder, to be ourselves? to excuse ourselves from friendships that would have us be smaller for them, from romantic relationships that would require us to be smaller, and even from work relationships that would require us diminishing ourselves or our spirit, speaking more quietly, being demure. What would it look like to work for someone or yourself that fully enjoys all of who you are and to have friends and romantic partners that do the same. What would your life look like right now? So I guess this episode is really about an invitation to step into a journey Step into a journey back to what's real. Identify all of the bullshit in your life, in our lives. And it doesn't mean that it has to go away. But once we know that it is not truth, once we know that it is a facade, at least we're more likely to look for what's real, not only in the world, but also in ourselves. And perhaps we move about that world in a different, more powerful and savage way. Come to a comfortable seat or a lying down position. Feel free to pause this recording while you get comfortable. Begin noticing the rise and fall of your breath in your chest. Draw the awareness of your breath into your chest center. Feel your chest rise and ribs expand as you breathe in. Notice if you can just breathe in in a way in which your chest rises and falls. And 
And now draw your breath a little lower in the body and notice the ribs expanding. Breathing in a way in which your ribs just expand outward. On your next inhale, draw breath into the low belly. Notice the pelvic floor press down when you breathe in. And draw back up on your exhale. And now attempt to bring breath into just your head space, drawing breath toward your eyebrows, the backs of your eye sockets, and even to the crown of your head. Sense breath filling the entire head. Notice breath coming in through your nostrils and reaching its way to your throat. Relax your tongue to feel the sensation more tangibly. Draw breath into the back of the throat. And begin to notice your entire mouth cavity, starting with your tongue. What is the taste of your breath? And draw your awareness to your lips. Part them a little and notice the difference in that sensation. Sense the bridge of your nose. Draw your awareness to the middle of your eyebrows. See your third eye and notice it open. And through the third eye, project onto a screen yourself walking into a grassy knoll. Notice the sensation of grass crunching underneath your feet. Feel its soft blades touch and caress the insides of your toes. Notice the sensation of spongy grass. Perhaps there are areas that are taller than others. Continue walking along this soft and crunching grass. And find yourself in a beautiful garden. In this garden, there is a variety of flora. Notice the vibrant red amaranth. So vibrant that its red can be seen for miles. 
seeds are atop its long stalks. Beautiful red leaves extend out to its neighbors. Amaranth is as tall as you and you see the seeds as they are at eye level. Beautiful and red, root colored. The depth of the roots of the amaranth remind you of your own roots. Enjoy a sensation of groundedness as you connect to your own root chakra. Begin to notice the roots from your own body extending outward from you and growing into the ground and through the ground. Roots extend from your arms, legs, everything touching the ground, through the ground into the earth. Connect to the wisdom that is inherent in the earth, the wisdom of the universe. Everyone who has ever lived has in one way or another connected with the earth, has touched earth, come from it and become a part of it. Every inhale is an opportunity to drink in wisdom, strength and power from our ancestors who have already traversed this earth. Connect to your own ancestors. Where did your ancestors come from and what did their lives look like? Perhaps they were barbarians or Vikings. Celts and Allens. Zulu and Ashanti. Aztecs, Incas. Maya, Navajo, Cherokee, Inuit. Macedonian warriors. Perhaps even going back to all of the Asian dynasties. Buddha, Jesus, Krishna.
Connect to the warriors that are in your line. Warriors who have fought for more with less. Warriors who have created empires. Warriors who have died for or fought for a cause. Drink all of that wisdom in and power. And explore the sensation of the connectedness of you with the ground. You with the earth. And with earth's consciousness. Earth's intelligence. And every exhale that you give, you offer something back. Enjoy for a moment this exchange of wisdom, of current and past and future. Now begin to allow your roots to come back in toward you. Draw your roots into yourself. And acknowledge the power within yourself and the power into which you can tap whenever you need to connect to your true self and your true nature. Acknowledge the lessons in the universe that we can observe if we just open our eyes. Seeing the opportunity to let go of yesterday's problems with the sunset and to embrace new opportunities with each sunrise. Every day is a new opportunity to realize the desires of your heart and acknowledge that promise with every new day. Take a deep breath. On your exhale, sigh. You can do that again if you feel compelled. Begin to wiggle your fingers and your toes to wake up from stillness. Draw some movement toward your head and your neck. And when you come out of meditation, acknowledge that you can come out as whatever you choose to be. to be fully embodied in a new way of being, grounded and rooted into the power of our ancestors and the earth. And on your ready, open your eyes.
And as always, my goal to leave you better than I found you. I hope that happened for you today. Namaste. You've been listening to Think, Flow, Grow. This is Tamika with Asha Yoga. I'd love to hear your feedback and would love to hear any topics that you'd like for me to address. Feel free to email me at tamika at ashayoga.com. Also, you can go to that website to find out upcoming workshops, retreats, and events in your area.